Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where your host, Alison K. Summers, is searching the globe to introduce you to cutting-edge thinkers and entrepreneurs whose stories will inspire you to innovate your own business life. Having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, Alison is taking her own experiences to help today's CEOs and professionals meet the ever-changing demands of the future of work. Now, here's your host, Alison K. Summers. Well, it is time for another interesting episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. And this time, we are talking about data decisions about roads. And I love this guest and I love this company because they're using artificial intelligence in a unique way, in a way that I hadn't even thought of until I I became familiar with them. And for somebody that is in Chicago, and I'm sure my listeners can um, understand this where they live, is the state of the roads and the state of infrastructure overall is, is quite concerning. And so I love the solutions that this organization is providing. So Without any more information, I'm going to hand it directly over to our guest. So I would love for you to meet Dr. Ben Schmidt. And Ben, tell us about your company. Yeah, thanks so much for having us today. Uh, Yeah, so our company, Roadbotics, uh, we're a Carnegie Mellon University spin-out. And exactly as you said, we help governments to better manage and maintain their road networks. Um, so the original technology that came out of Carnegie Mellon, what we've been doing for the last like three years, uh, we actually use a smartphone mounted up in the windshield of a car to collect video data driving around roads. We then trained a machine learning program to actually find all the things that people would normally think about um, that might sort of affect that roadway. The most common one everyone knows, of course, are potholes, uh, but things that pavement engineers, civil engineers would also care about we're able to actually identify those right there in that, that roadway from an image from that smartphone. Um, and from that, we can actually generate an entire map. We hand that over to the government. Uh, and from there, the government then can actually take their budget dollars, their maintenance, and make a plan. Right. So never before are they able to create a data, data-driven uh, and objective system for sort of where they're going to prioritize maintenance, where they're going to pave next, where they're going to fill the potholes. Um, so really answers a lot of those critical questions about infrastructure uh, and at governments of all scales. So, you know, we work now with a little over 200 governments. Uh, majority are here in the United States, um, but we also have a few other countries that we work with. We have a few out in uh, London, a few in uh, Australia. Um, so really, you know, roads are everywhere. And I, I think it is a frequent refrain of, of every citizen that, you know, infrastructure is one of those pieces that everyone cares about. It's something that affects everyone. Um, and so, yeah, we're here to help. And I think it's a, one of those things that we don't pay attention to until it's wrong, right? You don't, you know, when Absolutely. everything's going smooth, you don't pay attention. And and can you promise that the data-driven decisions will make sure, like, that the mayor's road doesn't get paved first? Is <laughs> That would be oh, a absolutely. nice outcome. Well, I think that's the uh, – right, because, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems that you have is you – know, Infrastructure is enormous, right? Like even a, a small town can have a, a pretty decent in the several million dollar category budget. Um, and even with like a couple hundred miles of road, I mean, that can take days, weeks to really go and sort of do that inspection. And so 
you know, the, the data has been lacking, which means that our decisions are not based on that data, right? They're based on other things. And the number one thing in all governments would be politics, right? That's the sort of how decisions are made in the absence of data. Um, so that's really sort of transforming for our clients. That's the becoming the new norm is that making that data driven decision. Um, but first you just, you need the data, which is hard when you talk about something as, as big as infrastructure. Um, and you're exactly right. You know, one of the other pieces here is that I, I think every single person, if you ask them in any city would say, you know, oh yeah, my roads are in terrible condition. And you say like, oh, well, what do you mean by that? And they could tell you exactly, especially, you know, we're recording this now in, in winter time. They can tell you where they saw a pothole, where they saw a pothole on their way to their commute. Um, the bigger challenge and just kind of how I think human memory works is, okay, well, tell me every road that you drove on this morning that was in good condition, that had no problems, right? It's much harder to remember that. And and that's part of the challenge here is that there's sort of a, you remember the really bad pieces of infrastructure. Um, you tend to forget the good pieces because they sort of invisibly fade into the background. Um, and, and that's the challenge, right? That's that's how we can help is using data. We can sort of eliminate that subjective nature of sort of memory and recall and, and making decisions in that way. So if you listen to this podcast, you know that that we care about you, Ben. We want to hear your story of how you, you got in, involved and became a co-founder for this initiative. So can you roll us back and, and give us a little bit about your founder's journey? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like I've taken and the worst part about working in roads is that there are road puns for everything. So I've taken a few detours, I think, in my career. Um, so I actually started out as a, a more technical. Um, I actually did a undergrad and a Ph.D. in bioengineering. Um, so I was looking at like medical imaging, uh, ended up getting out of the academic world, um, jumped over to my first startup as a data scientist. Uh, that's where I really got sort of a taste for entrepreneurial uh, startup kind of life, the sort of, you know, chaos, but excitement. Plus, you know, it's really just a gigantic roller coaster, which uh, you got to love if, if you're going to stick with it. Um, that's where I actually met one of my other co-founders. Uh, it was his company. He was the CEO of that company. I ended up becoming the CTO there. So, you know, got my hands on. Uh, not only a lot of our technical and like product development pieces, but also sort of getting insight into how fundraising works, how venture capital works, um, a lot of the other sort of like business aspects. Uh, ended up moving over here to Robotics, and so yeah, we're a little over three years now, and so it's been you know a, a pretty wild journey from from start to to date. Um, but yeah, I, you know I think it's it's been a really interesting sort of transition because, you know, I do a lot more of the business side today, uh, but having that sort of technical background has always been very helpful in sort of understanding, you know, the number one thing that kills any startup is making something no one wants. And so, you know, it, it really does come down to building a product that people really love, that they value, um, and then starting, you know, that has to be the basis. And I, I think what we're doing is, is something that, you know, every government client that we have, I think, really appreciates, really likes. Um, and it's just fundamentally changing the way that they operate, which is something incredibly exciting. It's, you know, something to be proud of, of our entire team of what we've been able to accomplish. Well, and, and this is why I love people's personal stories so much is, is how you start in bioengineering and end up in, in solving, you right. know, infrastructure problems is, is great because it just shows uh, it's the thought process behind it. Because I know on your website and I do encourage 
our listeners to go take a look at, at roadbiotics.com is, you know, when you're looking at the three-dimensional aspect of, of these maps, and I know there's one on your website that I'm like, all oh, the roads look bad. There's nothing good here in this city. Um, <laughs> so it is, it is interesting, but I guess that diagnostic uh, mindset that you get with bioengineering, you've, you've just, you've carried forward it here. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, I think the most interesting part, with, you know, and I think this is a theme with a lot of startups, it's certainly with a lot of the, the people that we've been fortunate enough to work with here at Robotics is you know, very interesting, diverse backgrounds, I think, work a lot better um, because they tend to think outside the box, mostly because there is no box, right? We, we, don't, we don't come from this sort of background. We don't have professional experience in these kinds of things. And that allows us to look at it from sort of an alternative viewpoint that might be hard to see, even if it's sort of staring you in the face. Um, I think that's one. I think that certainly helps with sort of how you approach problems. Um, but the most exciting is, yeah, I mean, we've got people from, uh, like myself, bioengineering. We have a few other like that. Um, but then we've got, you know, like computational chemistry, physics, uh, biology. Um, we've had a few just pure math people. So I think in that STEM world, it's really, you know, recruiting from a wide and diverse base. Um, and a lot of that, that's, that's sort of dwelling on the technical side. You know, we're a business. We're a business first and foremost. I think technology is, is exciting. It's fun. It's, you know, what I, I grew up and, and loved doing. Um, but ultimately, if we don't sort of create something that people want, figure out how to get it out into the world, um, figure out how to, you know, create all of the organizational structure, you know, we'll also fail, right? Just building something is not sufficient. And so I, I think when you look again at not just the technical aspects of like who's building the product, which I think is, is dwelled on a lot with tech companies, um, looking at sort of our, our business element is also equally as really interesting in the sort of diverse array of people that we have sort of tackling that problem um, and across sort of sales, commercial, uh, marketing, um, even some of our like administration and, and finance groups like Okay, it's just it, it really takes this really broad set of people to roll out something successfully to clients, do that at scale. Um, and I think that's really the exciting part. I think it's the fun part for everyone is that, you know, you get to in a small environment like this, because we're trying to move so quickly, you get to sort of dabble in a lot of different things um, just because there's literally no one else. Right. The most interesting part about a startup is you know, you're like, oh, crap, we have a new problem. And you turn around and there's no one else that's going to solve it except for that team. So someone's got to figure out how to solve it, uh, even if you've never sort of seen that problem or don't have the skills for it. So I think that's what draws people to this kind of environment. Well, and I, I love how you're saying, you know, that it's like you're bringing together a brain collective more than a resume that has tick boxes of what everybody's done. And and. You're right. I, I love the diverse thinking that you have to have in, in the room to solve this. You hit on something that I want to I want to go back and pick up is, you know, it's one thing to have an idea, but you have to have a product that people want. And, and not only do you have to have a product that, that people want, you then go through the whole process of getting other people to buy into your vision. And that's other people who might have money. So can you share a little bit with our listeners about how robotics um, started its growth on, you know, from the financial side. 
Sure. Sure. So I, I think like most startups, you know, the initial outset was we had some ideas and things like that. And so we were largely bootstrapping it. We were self-funding the, the co-founders and I. Um, we did that while sort of building out the initial products, uh, you know, like an MVP, the minimally viable product um, that we could put in front of our earliest customers. Uh, and then in parallel, we're also doing um, fundraising efforts. So looking at angel investors, sort of early stage um, venture capital, although usually at that stage, VCs don't really join the, the fray. Um, but we've gone through quite a number of iterations on that. So we, we did, you know, in the first six or eight months, we had our first um, uh, pre-seed round where we brought in some some money to help fund the, the system, you know, pay payroll, travel expenses, all that kind of stuff, all the things that you need money for in order to make a successful business. Um, and then sort of from there went into uh, two more rounds. So we just completed our last round was a, a Series A about, you know, end of last summer, um, so like seven or eight months ago, uh, firm out of Toronto, Canada, uh, Radical Ventures. So they, they, including some of our earlier investors, put in a total of seven and a half million. So we certainly have come very far in the fundraising. Uh, it is it is never easy, but yes, I think the, you know, to scale, to grow, and to really tackle these ambitious projects um, requires, like you said, you know, you, you need to have a, an idea, you need to have a, a market and an understanding for that, right? You need to make sure it is something people want, and you know, want is just a nice way of saying that they will pay for it, that they value it enough to pay for that that service, that that product. Um, but then ultimately, you know, the other sort of leg in that stool is is capital. Um, you need sort of people that are willing to risk dollars on, you know, ideas that are really no better than a, a PowerPoint and some hopes. Um, and a lot of the times that comes down to backing the team, right? You're, you're you know, venture capital, I, I don't envy their position. They're, they're in the position of just really judging the people, right? Because there's not really a good way to judge a market or to judge a product at a very early stage. It's, it's about sort of, do you believe in this team? Do you believe that they have the... The, the right stuff to sort of navigate through all the inevitable landmines and complexities that they're about to go run into. And uh, we've been extremely fortunate in finding venture capitalists who are willing to back us, who are now willing to back our, our ideas. Um, but most importantly, and I, I think this is also sort of one that's kind of not unique to us, but it's a little bit of a niche market is someone who is also willing to back a, a a government sale, right? You know, governments are notoriously hard to, to work with, to deal with. Um, there's, you know, a lot of potential in there, but they're, they're difficult. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've gotten very fortunate or we are very fortunate uh, in having such an incredible diverse sort of team, but also uh, financial backers. Yeah. And I think what you've said, I think a lot of different industries, any of us who during our careers, have had to work with government contracts and government funding. It's a it's a tricky situation, right? You have to to, you know, go through that process, the bid process, and then you have to trust that you're actually going to get your bills paid when the government says that they're going to pay their bills. Um, so I think yeah, and, I think that's you know, I think the pay there. bills. Oh, absolutely. Because I I think the pay bills thing is well. The nicest part about working with the government is that they do pay their bills, right? The the government. It's it's quite nice that part. Um, at least it is in sort of the United States. We sort of dabble in a few other countries that that is not the case, and it makes life a little bit more risky. Um, but I think certainly, yeah, uh, government. Uh, the biggest one for a government is that they have the reputation and the 
the procurement systems themselves are sort of these Byzantine um, sort of complex things that you have to sort of navigate. Um, again, it's it's for a good purpose. Uh, I, as an entrepreneur, do not appreciate that purpose, uh, but you know it is there for a reason. Um, but the best part about working for the government is really twofold. One is that um, they tend to be very loyal because again they 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 take a long time to adopt something, but once they do, they want that to become the way that they do it, and that's that's both very uh, sort of terrifying to sort of get into that, um, but at the same time, it is incredibly gratifying to have built something that this government is saying, you know, we want to base the way that we operate on this, this tool. And that's, you know, take a lot of pride in that. Um, but I, I think the biggest one here, and, you know, when you think about sort of startups in general, I, for myself, uh, and I know for a lot of our employees, I would say probably all of our employees, um, the really exciting is, it, like you said at the outset, what we are doing can not only create a really good sustainable business and it's exciting and it's fun to work in, um, but it, it has a, a really nice translatable benefit to the world at large, right? Cities that adopt us are going to have better roads. Better roads means fewer potholes, means better infrastructure, means less damage on cars, means, you know, better commerce, better economics. Like we are going to see the ripple effect of what we're doing, like really actually feel that impact of the, what we're rolling out, which I think a lot of, there's a lot of startups out there that do really interesting things, but don't necessarily get that really like pride and joy of actually having a a, a big impact in the world, which uh, I think, again, we're super fortunate to sort of be a part of that. Ben, you had so much enthusiasm, and now imagine you like standing in the middle of a perfectly built road with a super cape on, going, "Man, we were part of this." <laughs> so, Wait, do you have a camera on us right now? That's how we do all these podcasts. That's weird. <laughs> um, let's just briefly—you have products like RoadSense and RoadNav. Can you make any any comments and share for our audience about um, the the trademark process or the proprietary patent process that you that you had to go through for your products. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I, I think um, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects in there. I think in the the IP world in in general and intellectual property. Um, certainly, yeah, we have a few number uh, brand names: Roadway, Roadnav, Roadsense. Um, you can sense a, a theme in there, I guess. Road something. Um, that, you know, we're very helpful in sort of establishing our, our brand within the market. Um, I think in parallel, we also have some uh, patent work that we're doing on some of the more proprietary technology that we have uh, and making sure that we're able to defend those. Again, you know, world of venture capital, they want to make sure that what their fe- um, funding can be is defensible, has a uh, sort of a, 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 you know, in that sense, a, a legal uh, moat around it. Um, so I think that's all good. I think the difficult part sort of for any kind of entrepreneur, I think the, the, the hardest part of all that is, you know, you can read up on patents and trademarks. That part's not hard. The, the really hard parts are making the actual like business calls about it. You know, we could just keep trademarking stuff all day long constantly, but we'd run out of money and we never do anything productive. Um, so I, I think trying to find that line between how much it costs to do it, what's the benefit, um, and a lot of the benefit is going to come in in subsequent years, which means it's it's really about predicting what you think it might be valuable for, um, and that makes it very hard. So I, I think it's one of the more difficult aspects that all entrepreneurs are going to look at is 
sort of what is their intellectual property strategy. Um, and, you know, they're going to get a lot of advice from a lot of different people. And naturally, that means it will all contradict each other. So that's just how <laughs> advice works. Well, and I think you just gave a great segue there. And, and so I'm going to ask you, Ben, um, in terms of, of leadership and in terms of, um, you know, as a professional growth, do you have any uh, favorite resources or books or, or mentoring strategies that have helped you along the way um, as, as you're on this path to, to being the president of robotics? Oh, I mean, yeah, number of books. Well, as soon as you ask, like, you can't think of a single one of them. Um, I think, for me, books are a huge part of it. Um, I think there's there's tons and tons of great ones out there about, you know, everything from, like you said, leadership to uh, product development. Like, again, The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. I mean, that has certainly become the Bible of product development within uh, the tech world. So, like, I think that's absolutely required reading if you want to roll something out into the world. Um, but I, I think sort of the, the biggest one that I've, I've sort of enjoyed myself in sort of learning about these things is to try to get as broad as possible. Um, you know, even so far as like reading biographies or history books. Um, for me, the biggest appreciation, I think there's a lot of great business books that are, you know, about now and about the business environment now. Um, one of the things I've always personally appreciated with reading history books is uh, he, this is not new, right? In every moment in time ever, there's always been chaos and that feeling that like, oh my God, the world's going to come crashing down, um, whether it's in a business context or anything like that. So I think it's always sort of good, at least for, it's been well-received by myself of having uh, that perspective of like, yes, this feels chaotic, but this is normal. I think that's a wonderful piece of wisdom. And, and I think you're right about, about books. Um, as I talk to people and I talk about where you need to go and learn, and I, I talk a lot about skills gaps and I I say, go to a used bookstore and pick up one of those nasty, thick, like management books and just look at the table of contents and go through and circle the things that you, that you know and put an arrow next to the things you don't and just and try to gain some knowledge to fill your gaps. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. You know, they're, they're, they're learning on the go. And, and it is beautiful that we live in a time when you have so many books and, and resources and things at your fingertips. Um, but I hadn't had anybody uh, talk about history books the way that, that you just did. And I think you're right. There's sort of a comfort there to know that, yeah, journeys, journeys don't feel good, <laughs> but yeah, no. they, yeah. they have their peaks and the, and the peaks are enough to right. keep propelling you. Correct. Yeah. Even the people that you sort of idolize in history or that have been lionized, you know, you, you read about sort of the actual exploits and you're like, wait, how are you ever successful? Um, <laughs> so I think that's always sort of a fascinating piece. Um, I think that, you know, the, the biggest caution that I try to give people with um, with books and reading, because I think a lot of the times people are asking that as a way of sort of conveying, I don't think I'm ready and I'd like to learn more. Um, and I, I think the danger always is that that becomes sort of the crutch, right? Why did I not start my company? Because I didn't know enough. Um, and I have to keep reading, right? So you'll never know enough. Good luck. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's an interesting article I was reading 
um, just yesterday about female entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs. And I know I've had some as my, my guest on this podcast, they tend to be more highly educated than male entrepreneurs. You know, no, no dig there for you, Dr. Ben. Um, I will not take that as a dig. <laughs> but I think it's this concept of, I need to learn more before I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And, and you're right. It is, it is difficult. And, you know, you've got the entrepreneurs that are gung ho and, and will fly, but they need to know how to build teams because they need those balanced teams around them to balance out what they, they don't know. And then you've got the others who, um, you know, just can't get their dreams off, off the ground. And I, I, you said it earlier in our conversation about, you know, you're selling a, a, a PowerPoint and hope in those early days and you have to have that sense of, of confidence or you're not going to sell it to anybody else. Oh, absolutely. When I, I always found, you know, even amongst our staff here, one of the things that you see a lot is, um, well, one, it's the joke, but it's entirely true, right? Which is experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Um, you know, you got to just jump in and that's how you're going to learn the most, the fastest. Um, but the other part is, I think, you know, we've found this sort of interesting pattern over time that what ends up happening is that during the day, everyone is, you know, being entrepreneurial, running, doing, you know, trying to get that next contract, product, whatever it is. Um, and then in the evening, all of a sudden, everyone turns into bookworms. Um, and so is trying to like, you know, siphon up as much knowledge as they can. And so sort of doing it at the same time where during the day you're practicing and in the evening you're sort of training. Um, and I, I think that's sort of an interesting characteristic trait that we found over and over again is, you know, I, I would imagine if we went around our offices and asked like, what are all the books you've read this year? It, it would probably be fill a library. Um, Cause I think people are just sort of always wanting to find out that next piece but are also here, right? They are here at a startup doing it every day. Um, and so I think that's really interesting to see how that works, where you have both the experiential part of a doing it and then sort of that, uh, not quite pedagogy, but like, a, you know, self-taught, self-direction. Yeah, and I, I, I laugh because early in my career, I had a, a, a choice of two paths. And I walked into um, my manager's office and said, okay, I'm going to start working on my master's degree. And I was working in Detroit at the time. And my boss, he, uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, you can go two ways. Yeah, I'll support you if you want to do the master's degree. But if you want to learn business, you need to go on the road because our business is in the field and you need to go, go do. And so I chose the path of go do. And I think the people, and, and this is why I just love entrepreneurs and everything that you all do and admire you so much is because, you know, the go do makes a difference. It, it really, it really does. And the quote you, you shared from your office experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So true. And you can't beat yourself up on it. You got to be like, woohoo. Okay. That was great experience. Not doing that again. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I think it's one of my, the yeah, go out and do, that's where business is. One of my, and again, I come from a very like technical background, right? Writing papers, not exactly talking to customers or something like that. Um, one of my absolute favorite parts about the business environment, about like business development in general is that, you know, once you get in that room and you start having the conversation, 
there's no reset buttons, right? Like if you screw up a piece of code or you screw up some experiment, you can just try again. Um, once you're in that business world, it's really, you get one shot. Um, and I, I think there's something really interesting and fascinating about that. Uh, terrifying, um, but also really fascinating that, you know, that's it. That's your one chance. Well, we want to close with asking you if we came back and spoke to you in three, five, ten years down the road, where is robotics going? What will you tell us you're achieving as an organization? Uh, I think that more than likely robotics three, five years from now is is looking at a lot more, not just roads, but it's infrastructure more broadly. Um, and I think that we will we will develop more and better software to help governments everywhere and at every scale um, be better at what they do. Um, so I, I would genuinely hope that um, everyone has heard of robotics because we're helping your government do what they need to do, provide those services, um, but do it better, faster, more efficiently, uh, and things like that. But yeah, more broadly, infrastructure. I think that'll be the really exciting part is just... Uh, well, I think you. everyone will will be using this. So, so yeah, ben, thank you. This was great. Yeah, um, tell us, tell my listeners how they can reach out to you, find out more about your company. Sure. Uh, so if you go to roadbotics.com, uh, that's roadbotics, uh, as in robotics, but with a road, uh, .com. That's where you can find out more. There's some contact info there. Um, we even have a, a live demo up there so you can take a look at kind of what it looks like for these governments. Um, I would heavily or highly encourage everyone to reach out to your own government and um, see how they are making their data-driven decisions and whether or not it's with us. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And to everyone that has listened, if our wonderful guest, Dr. Ben Schmidt, has said something that you've liked, I'm sure he'd like to hear a note um, from you. If you know of a disruptive CEO, company founder that is doing something interesting with tech or in disrupting a business channel, uh, have them reach out to me at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future. And thank you again, Ben. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.